0: You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. And I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, and we're really glad to be able to worship together today. Um, City Church, we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining Him in the renewal of all things. That's our vision, and that's who we are and who we're becoming. So we're really glad to be able to do that together uh, with with a lot of other folks. So um, there's a subgroup of our people that are particularly important, and we like to pray for them every Sunday. And so we're going to pray for our kiddos uh, here in our our service, but also in our communities and here at the school. So Katie White is going to pray for our kids. So if you would pray with her for a moment. There you go. Yeah, you can, you can clap for that. Yeah.
1: How about her? God, thank you for the children in our midst. Thank you for how they see you and themselves and the world in a fresh and new and different way. Pray that you would help us to listen and be attentive to how they show us how to see things. And we just pray for all the kids here that they would know how much you love them and how you see them, and how you smile upon them, how you made them for a purpose. God, help us to um, care for them well, to parent them with patience and grace, and, um, and a lot of love. And just pray you'd bless them in this day, and pray your blessing on the school, on Lafayette, and all the kids, and all the teachers, and all the families as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: So kiddos, you guys can come on out with Miss Katie and a few of the other fearless leaders who are going to lead you today. And then if you would welcome our other co-pastor, Brenna Rubio. <laughs> she loves it when I do that. Uh-huh. She loves that.
1: Yeah, it makes me feel important. <laughs> I don't know um it's so good to be with you guys here this morning I have to turn this away otherwise I confuse myself where I'm talking into um so I don't know how your weeks were mine was pretty good Uh, I did have an interesting thing that happened towards the beginning of it um I got called Satan uh and okay some of you may be going, All right, that's cute, Brenna. I get called names like Satan all the time. Um, I'm surprised sometimes I don't get called Satan more or Jezebel or, you know, some of these lovely words that people like to throw around. But I did get called Satan to start my week. Um, so, what had happened a few weeks ago, we were honoring uh, Indigenous Peoples Day here together. In service. And then I created a little video to put up on an Instagram and other places reflecting on that and, and inviting people in to consider, you know, how Jesus followers might think about justice for the Native community and care for the Native community. And um, that apparently got on some people's nerves. Some people did not like that, um, found it offensive. And so I had actually, de- okay, some of you are social media experts, I'm not. I'm not, you know, we, we try to use social media just to create a little bit of like an open door. Right. But we're not experts. So I deleted a few comments already, um, that were, you know, I was just like, I don't know. These are the only comments and they're distracting, right? They're just name calling. And plus I don't, I just don't want to give these people my energy. So I just deleted a few ugly comments and then someone else alerted me to yet another one. And I looked at it and I was like, all right, you know, you tell me what to do, right? Or at least let's talk this out together. Like I've already deleted a few and, and their point was, Hey, you know, maybe there's some modeling to be done here. You could try and interact because there could be some modeling and okay. So this comment calling me Satan was actually the best one I'd received so far, that, that was a nice one It um, was it was yeah I mean it was the nicest. Wow. If you happen to look at it and you're confused Brenna I don't see Satan here. It's when they call me the accuser of the brethren a couple times. This is like how somebody would. Oh, I'm not going to say that. Okay, but it's that's what it means. That's what it means when they say accuser of the brethren they're calling me Satan. Um, it's scripture speak. Um so I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, but I'll give it a try. I'm not gonna put a whole lot of energy into this, but I'll give it a try. Um, so I kind of like, cause it was like the glim- a glimmer of a theological perspective on their side. And so I was like, okay, like, hey, you know, like I sense your intensity. Um, I'm modeling here, right? I language, uh, I sense your intensity. Uh, it seems to me I'm reflecting back. A little more modeling for you folks here. It seems to me like your main concern is this and that's your perspective and this is how I think of it. I'll share my perspective, right? You can imagine how it went over. So another comment with more preserve of the brethren type stuff, but here's where I was like, all right, like not like I needed much more convincing that this was just not gonna go anywhere good. But he ends on this. He says, I will not engage your philosophy in vain deceit. See Colossians, a good Bible thump. So you could go look it up in Colossians if you wanted to, but it's just basically saying, like, hey, your perspective is of the world and dangerous because it's different than mine. I read the Bible and I read it and I know exactly what it means. So you're dangerous, shut off. And so I just kind of like, yeah, wow. When I hear you call, say, use words like, you know, vain deceit and accuser of the brethren, I think we're probably not gonna be able to talk anymore. Be blessed. Something to that effect, right? Conversation is done. Did that model anything? I have no idea. You, you know, social media experts, you can tell me how I can do it better. Um, But for me, it was such an interesting, you know, in that one little engagement, this picture of how the Bible is often used in churchy, Christ-ish spaces, right? The Bible as a tool, Bible as weapon, um, Bible to end conversations and say, I know how it works, see my proof text, instead of the Bible to start conversations, Bible to open it up into a space where we can actually talk with each other. Um, I could we, I mean, I, I share the story with some energy. It was a little, you know, in the moment, just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Um, a little stressful, but I'm almost like, I'm just, as I share it and I'm sensing my own energy, could we just be a little sad for a second? It's a little sad, isn't it? Right. That somebody needed to, to kind of in that safe little isolated place on the internet, just kind of be so aggressive and so unwilling to listen to just feel this need to just gear up and use the bible as a weapon i guess it's kind of a funny story but it's kind of a sad one too and so today we're as we're we're nearing the end of our walk with jonah the prophet who some of you may think of just that guy with the big fish right but there's actually been all sorts of interesting things happening with jonah and ways that Jonah is actually kind of like this, this sometimes. And we actually get to be a little bit sad and a little bit thoughtful. And I'm kind of wondering, is God inviting us into something different? Can we maybe see some room in the story today to engage each other differently, to engage our faith differently? I think so. So our friend Alex Alvarado should be around here somewhere. Is going to come up and read the scripture for us. Would you guys welcome him up with me sorry AV team as I you know do something to your work
0: hi oh we're gonna stand oh thank you because we remembered this week we're gonna stand in honor of God and God's word you know we remember half the time so
1: it's cool it's kind of a rhythm yeah
0: there you go uh we're gonna be reading uh Jonah uh 410 through eleven. Uh, But the Lord said, uh, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and dried overnight. And I should not, I shouldn't, and I should not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals. People
1: of God, this is the word of God.
0: Thanks be to God you may be you. zoom i figured you probably knew you didn't have to stand up i mean if you're lying in your bed or whatever but whatever thanks for hanging with us um i love that story and i <laughs> love this reading so jonah's been having this wrestling match with god and uh it's not going real well for jonah let's be honest um yeah, so there, there's a new, my kids are big Taylor Swift fans. So there's a new album dropped on Friday. So we were all required to listen, but she's got this one song called Antihero, which Jonah is the antihero. He's like how to do things wrong. And the, the song has got this great line. She says, it's me, hi, I'm the problem,
1: hmm.
0: right? And uh, that's actually a great summary of the book of Jonah. <laughs> In, uh, in case you were wondering. So um, so think about this whole idea of questions, the, the book of Jonah ends with a question. God says, should I not be concerned for this great city? There are all these people here and all these animals. Like, shouldn't I care, Jonah? And literally the last mark in the book of Jonah is a question mark. It's how God ends this book of the bible it's actually not shutting down questions it's raising them up and it's 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 hard for us so many times to to do this to live into the questions when we're so much more comfortable with the answers and we're so much more with uh i don't know it like what Brenna was talking about, there there are these hidden agendas that we have with our questions where we're trying to, we might ask questions, but it's really to maneuver people a certain way to get something done. Another way of of not really being authentic, like being who we really are. And there's a sense in which the Bible is really comfortable with this idea that that everything's not a closed loop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: God asks this question at the end of the book of Jonah, and it's like, huh, what do you think, Jonah? And there are a bunch of questions throughout. Like, What do you think? And it gives us some permission to not have all the answers. To do some of our own thinking maybe even to be curious about God, about other people. Um, I had a couple of conversations this week. Um, no one called me Satan. Uh, so it was, it was it was a good week <laughs> in that sense. Um, but uh, so one, I was at, a, I was at PBS pub right over here around the corner. Great spot to meet folks. And I was waiting for somebody. And this guy strikes up a conversation with me and uh, And turns out he's a, he wants to tell me he's a, he's a Christian and which is fine. And so, you know, we chatted for a little minute. He found out that I was a a pastor type and he said, oh man, you know, can I tell you the best thing to to tell atheists? I mean, I just, I mean, you just know where this is going already, right? He's like, I always, I just ask him this question and it just always nails (sighs) on That, that sounds really delightful. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thank, thanks. Uh, my meeting's here. I got to go. And then last night, I'm at my wife's 35th high school an, uh, reunion, whatever, anniversary, reunion, whatever it is, oh, yes, same yes. thing. Um, and of course, she's talking with her friends, right? We're at this big table and she's she's here. She's talking with her friends. This is not my wife, by the way. Uh, for those who are wondering, this is my co-pastor. Um, <laughs> so she's talking with her friends. So I'm stuck with the one other rando at the table, right? Like, the you know, who didn't come with anyone who's just sitting there. I'm like, hi, you know, my wife, you knew her 35 years ago. So let's chat. So we end up having this great, lovely conversation. Uh, he's, he's an atheist. <laughs> Comes out, he shares that in in the, in the conversation and, and at one point I said, hey, you know, I, uh, I, over the last couple of years, I haven't had as many really good conversations with friends who are atheists, but I have this question. Would you mind if I asked it? I'm not really, I, I don't have an agenda here. And it's about how you raise your kids and like how you think about your atheism for them and, and how are you helping them to own it or not? Or what's that like for you? And we had this great conversation. It was so interesting. And then he turns to me and he says, hey, you know, uh, you know, my sister, she's a Christian. And uh, I, I have, could I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's like, hey, this whole thing, like, like, how do you think about, like, why are there believers and not believers? Like, you know, Christians and people who aren't Christians, like, how, how do you think about that? And we taught, and we had this lovely conversation. I mean, it was, it was really, you know, this back and forth, just curious and caring and thoughtful. And, you know, as I hold these two conversations here, my my sense is I I think the atheist might enjoy city church a little bit more. Right. With that, with that curiosity. And and kind of the, I mean, it's a little risky for him to ask that question. It was a little risky for me to ask mine and risky for us to answer and to talk. And as opposed to the person who's like, I'm gonna nail him with this one. <laughs> right. Like I I feel like man, I'd kind of like to be church with my atheist friend. And and there are folks here uh, here and on Zoom from all kinds of different spiritual backgrounds. Okay. We freely acknowledge that. I think it's our heart that we'd all ask really good questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we'd we'd explore that. And not not try to back you into a corner, mm-hmm. right? yeah it's just a better way to live and it's actually what god does in the book of Jonah. he asks all these questions and jesus himself right the, the son of god come to earth you it depends on how you translate certain markings in the greek but he there's no question he asked over 300 questions in
1: mm.
0: in the gospels way more than people asked him <laughs> And he was God. What does that tell you about God? Jesus asked tons of questions. And so I, I want to, we're going to have a little, um, we're going to crowdsource this just for a moment. And, and if you're on Zoom, you can put this in the chat and Brenna will look at it. But I just want to think about this idea. So God asked Jonah this question. Jesus asks literally hundreds of questions to people. Why? What are some of the reasons? You know, think about Jesus walking through and asking this, and teaching this, and then asking that. And I, I you know, just shout it out or put it in the in the chat on Zoom. I, I want to just hear. What, what are a couple of thoughts? Of why? I'm not looking for a right answer here. I'm, i just want to explore this. What's that? Engagement. He wants to engage with people. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jesus wants to actually know what we think. What's that? Control? Mm Hmm. Uh, Interesting. It's a way to connect with someone, not to end the conversation but to open up the conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm. it's a way to invite people to be visible. So he stops, right? There's this crowd, this woman who has been invisible. She touches the cloak of his garment. She's healed. And Jesus asks the question, who touched me? To make sure that her voice gets heard, that she gets seen, So great. Thank you, Hannah. I
1: have a few from Zoom. Yes. Feedback. Maybe Jesus is actually open to feedback. That'd be amazing. To get to know everyone and to learn from them. And the more we ask, the more we know about ourselves, uh-huh. one another, and everything. Yeah, right? Yeah. To show He cares
0: what you think. To show He cares what you think. I mean, there's... I mean, if, if it's an honest question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like there's so much goodness behind it, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there's so much connection and and centering some folks who may not have been centered before, and demonstrating care, curiosity, trying to understand what what we think. This is this is what we see God do in the Book of Jonah, punctuating that the whole book of the Bible with a question mark at the end and this is what jesus does over and over and over again he asks questions and so we're going to just have a very short little time here of kind of pairing up and sharing um and so you can do it as you know if you came with somebody or if you want to meet someone you can kind of reach across the aisle so to speak uh, and just say what are some of the Big questions you're asking these days? You know, just like, what's one or two of the questions you're asking? You're not trying to answer any questions. You're just like, hey, these are a couple of questions I might ask God that I'm wondering about. So we're going to take like two minutes, and if you're on Zoom, you can put it in the chat. Uh, It's kind of our way of sharing. We don't really have time for breakout groups, so. But just for about a minute or two, what are some of the big questions that you're asking? So go, chat.
1: going to come back together
0: hello all right
1: we're going to bring it back Shh. but you gotta love you gotta love from all the voices in the room that if somebody gives us permission somebody says here's the time here's the place man we have questions and i saw them here on zoom uh as well and if anybody's been wondering why i've been using my phone up here that's because i'm trying to I'm I'm enjoying some chatting with the zoom this morning as we, as we preach and we talk, um, yeah, we have questions and isn't it, isn't it wonderful to be able to just like share them? Isn't it great? Just be able to say like, yeah, we don't have it all figured out. When I think about my just journey as a pastor, even over the last six or seven years that I've been at city church, a lot of it has been embracing that freedom. You know, that I feel like my training growing up in the church, uh, just as, as someone, you know, who sat in the pews, then as I started to, to preach, to lead in different ways, there was so much of a push towards being the answer person, even when it was fake, right? This like sense that, oh, we have to somehow make it make sense, make it wrap up like in a nice tidy bow. But that's so often not how life is. There's so much goodness to being able to admit the questions together. So I think all of your answers, your insights around why Jesus would ask questions were so good. And even there, right, to say like, we don't actually have to pick one, that this is the right answer. There could be so many different answers, so many different reasons, so many reasons it was, it was good um, that Jesus was a question asker. One of the things that I see playing out in this passage, and I really enjoyed getting to look at and sort of like try and understand a little bit more deeply this past week, is a sense of part of it feels to me like what God was doing, asking Jonah these questions. And really the whole scene, which we just read a little snippet, I want to set up kind of the whole scene of what's going on with Jonah, is God kind of is actually getting kind of playful with Jonah. There's this sense of, of God, like, I don't think it am, it's not in a mean way, but God is like saying like, hey, we're going to, I'm going to with you a little bit. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to stretch you. Like we're going to, we're going to play. We're going to do a little real life experiment. Um, You know, there's a sense, maybe you guys have read this before. If you're a teacher, a parent, you're involved with kids in any way, but the sense that play is how kids and really how we're all really wired to learn. Right. Then when you take a kid, you don't teach them two plus two just by like repeating it over and get two plus two equals four, two plus two equals four. Let's beat it into their heads. No, you you give them stuff, right? Like they have like actual items that they work with with their hands. And you maybe actually set up a, a real life situation, like, hey, you know, if you have two cookies and I give you two more, how many are you going to enjoy having right? You you make it real, you make it playful, you make it contextual. It actually affects their life and it's in a language that they can understand and. God actually does that for us. God actually gets into our lives and and stretches us and brings our whole selves, not just our minds, but our bodies and our hearts into the learning process because that is how we actually start to get it. For Jesus, our question asker, one of the ways that he did that over and over again was through parables, through these stories that would be sort of thought experiments, and they would use things from real life trees and birds and seeds and just things that surrounded people and made it real, made it practical, and made it playful, because it was, again, open-ended. It was conversational questions. How do you understand this? And there were many different ways you could understand and respond. Well, here in this story of Jonah, Jonah's going to get to live a parable, he's going to get to experience it in his flesh. Because what's happened, Jonah has gone out and preached impending destruction to Nineveh. And then Nineveh repents. God says, yay, my people have returned, basically. You know, I don't need to destroy them anymore. Hooray! And Jonah gets mad, right? That's the context. Well, now the passage basks up a little bit to to say what Jonah has been doing. Like, he preached that doom and destruction. And then what did he do like in the meantime? And where is he when he starts getting mad at God and challenging God and telling God that God is too merciful and too compassionate? Well, Jonah gave his message and then he retreated off to safety and he found a nice spot outside of the city where he could sit back and watch. He wants to see the show. Isn't this grim? My goodness, friends, he like, he just finds a nice comfy spot, to wait for hellfire to begin raining down on the people, so he can cheer. That is basically what he's done, and so that's where he is outside the city, waiting for the show and getting disappointed and angry that it's not going to happen. And um, so God says, "Okay, all right, like I'm, um, let's let's do a little experiment." Jonah doesn't really tell him what's happening at first, right? But what he does is he causes this big vine to come up kind of miraculously overnight and shade Jonah and create this, this cover for him from the sun, which was beating down. Um, and so Jonah, as he's waiting for these people to get destroyed, gets this nice little gift. He's gotten so many gifts from God already, right? God has rescued him, given him new chances again and again and again. And now Jonah's just like, ah, I'm in the lap of luxury as I wait for the destruction of the city. And then. As quickly as God sent this nice vine to give Jonah the shade, it's taken away. And a worm comes and eats it. And just, he destroys, he destroys the vine, not the city, right? Jonah's like, what's going to happen out there? And then all around him, like this vine that he just loves disintegrates around him. And he gets mad again. Now God has taken his vine. He didn't send the destruction over there. He sent the destruction here. And uh, so he, he protests, how dare you, God, take away what I loved, what I was relying on. And God says, your affection was so deep for that vine that you did nothing for, was in your life for like that long. It was that important to you? Really? Well, how do you think I feel about all those people who, they're mine. I've worked for them. I've loved them. I've longed for them. You feel this intensely about a vine and you expect me to so easily wipe out all these people and all these creatures. Jonah's loves were off. But God doesn't just tell him that. He actually invites him to see it for himself, to experience it. I've heard it said before, we are what we love. And Jonah was loving the wrong things. He loved his comfort. He loved believing that he was special. He deserved all of that grace God was giving him, all of that rescue. He loved his anger. There are so many times in this story that Jonah Gets angry. It kind of seems like it's running his life. These are really shallow and poisonous loves. And they all play out in this one little embodied parable of the shade vine. So, weirdly, even though I've honestly never seen it before, I'm like, I don't get that weird ending in the book of Jonah where there's a vine and then it's taken away. It was actually another grace. It was another grace that God was offering Jonah to say, I'm going to give you another chance to get it, to understand, and to maybe start pointing your loves in a more life-generating direction.
0: And and so the question is, what direction is that? Right? And and thus the question, Jonah 4.10, God says, should I not be concerned? Aren't these my people? And the real question is, who gets included in God's family? Who gets mercy? Who who qualifies? The answer seems to be pretty big, right? It's the very ones who are supposed to be excluded, the the enemies of god the bad people and what you see is you you see this foreshadowing of christ where christ is like come to me come to me anyone come here i am experience love and grace welcome come to the family he's radically inclusive Mm -hmm. radically inclusive Uh, kind of the patron saints or one of them, of City Church of Long Beach is Rachel Held Evans, and she has this great line. She says, What makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So many times, uh, people, institutions, uh, religious groups, we are known for who we exclude. And Jesus says, I will be known for how wide my embrace is, Mm -hmm. for who is welcome. It's this new way of thinking about the world that Jesus introduces. He's trying to help us expand. This is one of the reasons why he asks questions so that we can, our minds can be blown like, whoa, Mm -hmm. right? Should I not be concerned? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There are a couple of women who've written this really, uh, really neat book called "Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus," where they do a lot of work, kind of uncovering the Jewishness of Jesus and how he was a rabbi and taught like a rabbi and what the ancient rabbis how they taught and um, it's it's a wonderful wonderful read. At one point, they talk about the the great, uh, one of the greatest of all times rabbis named Hillel, who actually overlapped with Jesus by just a few years. Um, Jesus was about 10 years old when Hillel died. And Hillel was uh, the greatest teacher in generations and generations. And at one point, uh, uh, someone who wasn't Jewish came up to Hillel and says, can you explain the whole law while standing on one foot? And Hillel responds, uh, this is all kind of in this, in this book. By I'm this. waiting
1: for you to, you know, do a little demo oh. here. <laughs> no. Well, last
0: week I was on crutches, so
1: a little ambitious. I I'm okay.
0: think I'm going to stay just planted this week. Right. Thank you for the invitation. But no, <laughs> I decline. Um, But uh, Hillel says... Uh, he says this. He says, do not do what is hateful to you, to others. This is the whole of the Torah, and the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So what's hateful to you, don't do it to others. He said, that's it. And they point out, like, you could say that while standing on one foot. I didn't, but you could. Uh, And it's brilliant, right? Hillel is a brilliant uh, teacher. And then we look at Jesus and we see a slightly different approach. He's well aware of Hillel. You can see it in a number of his teachings. He takes Hillel and sometimes he agrees, sometimes he pushes forward, sometimes he flips things. This is what great rabbis do, right? And with this particular one, When Hillel points out the minimum that we need to do to be good, I just don't do all the bad stuff. Jesus flips it on its head. And he says, do to others what you would have them do to you and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas Hillel teaches There's this minimum you can do to have fulfilled the law. Jesus invites us instead to the maximum. What's the limit of love? Like, when when do you stop Mm. loving someone? There's no limit to this. It's this whole radically different way of seeing the world. Mm. This radical inclusivity with this radical love that could ne- there you can never love, like, when are you done loving? You can check off enough boxes, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, but when have you finished loving? Mm. This is the invitation of Jesus.
1: Mm. So beautiful, because it's an invitation that, I mean, like a relationship, you just keep going, right? Just keep going, deeper in further up I mean you just kind of keep peeling back the onion um I just one last thought um did a lot of traveling a week or two ago and I ended up watching um this uh little masterclass on writing with Malcolm Gladwell if any of you are Malcolm Gladwell fans I'm nerdy enough to claim that um but uh, it was it was really interesting, the parts that I got to watch. And there's this one moment though, that I just went, yes, I need to remember this. Because he talked about the power of the word, wow. That one of the hardest things that can happen with a person, within a person and in a conversation is when you stop getting surprised by things. You know, you're telling someone like a good story, something is interesting. You're like, yeah, 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 I know that, right? And how often do we do that in our relationships? even our relationship with God, we think the goal is to know it. We think the goal is to do that bare minimum, check the boxes, keep it nice and black and white, right? Nice and defined and simple. But the power of wow is the willingness and the humility to be surprised, to be surprised by God and what God might invite us into, to be surprised by people. In their complexity and their depth, still keep this, wow, tell me more, help me understand. I'm so curious perspective on the world and on our own lives and how we love each other. Wow, I'm willing to go deeper. We wanna take a few minutes to pray together uh, before we do that, um, I just want to talk very briefly uh, about we are connected with a lot of churches in the Long Beach area. It's something we value, um, like any relationship. Um, you know, there there's always some uh, there are dynamics in them, but we value our kind our connection with uh, so many of the churches in the Long Beach area. So many people we get to learn from and find ways even to partner together. Um, and so we wanna care for each other well. And over this last week, one of the churches in our area, Parkcrest, uh, experienced really just a heavy blow uh, as their lead pastor went in for a routine surgery and had complications that resulted in a very unexpected death. Um, and so we just wanna hold that as we go into prayer together um, for uh, Jared's family. Uh, for the whole community at Parkcrest as they grieve together. And uh, we also just want to acknowledge that there are people here today uh, in, in our family here at City Church who you actually have deeper connections with Parkcrest as a church, perhaps with Jared as a pastor. Uh, And so I just want to offer, I'm going to hang out up here after the service ends. And if anybody would like to come and have a little bit more time to process and to pray together um, with those deeper connections that you may have, we just want to open up that space. Would you pray with me, friends?